Good morning, everyone. If we could come back in and find our seats real quick. To observe Lent is to take an intentional axe to the root of whatever complacency, apathy, over-familiarity, laziness, or pride that may have grown up in the garden of our apprenticeship to Jesus over the past year. It is to conscientiously join with Jesus in the desert as preparation for the year ahead. It is to once again reckon the cost that was paid for our freedom, for our salvation, for our very lives. Like everything here at Grace, we are learning by doing by practicing. Again this year, we'll practice Lent as a way of preparing both as individuals and as a community to celebrate Easter. While practicing the observation of Lent is not a command, you don't have to do it. This is not a requirement to be part of grace or to be a Christian or anything like that. The practices associated with Lent are commands. Jesus commands us to pray. He commands us to reflect. He commands us to make space to consider the presence of God in our lives. These are practices that we emphasize during Lent. And Lent is a great time to renew our familiarity with these practices. As we observe this first Sunday of Lent, we're going to practice community confession. Confession, again, is one of those things that Jesus commands us to do. This may feel uncomfortable. You may not feel individually guilty of some of the things we confess. That's understandable. But this is community confession. And I can guarantee you that among us, someone, somewhere, could claim each of the things we will confess, if not many of those. As a matter of fact, if there was a bingo card of offenses that we're going to confess, I'm pretty sure that I would be the first one to have a winning card with that. So join me this morning as we prepare for this season of reflection, of confession, of preparation, these next few weeks heading towards Easter. Would you please stand and we will read these together. Gracious God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts and have not loved our neighbors as we love ourselves. We have not loved others as you have loved us. Lord, have mercy on us. We have sinned in what we have thought and done. Lord, have mercy on us. We have sinned in what we have chosen to ignore and who we have chosen to ignore. Lord, have mercy on us. We have sinned by proudly proclaiming our ignorance, our independence, and our addictions. Lord, have mercy on us. We have sinned by excusing our selfishness, our prejudices, and our privileges. Lord, have mercy on us. Grant us, Lord, Repentance, contrition, 
and renew our faith for our sake, the sake of others, and for your glory. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would ask us all just to take a minute. And in the silence, listen. What is the Holy Spirit bringing to your heart, to your mind at this moment? Who is the Holy Spirit bringing to your heart and your mind at this moment? Don't dismiss it. Don't be quick, too quick. Just hold on to it. God, we know you are quick to forgive and you hold no record of our sins. Our hope and joy is deepened by this assurance that you forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome everyone to Grace Church. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the the elders here. I'm the head of the teaching team. I facilitate the teaching team. It's really impressive to see everybody here. I guess uh, automatic updating the time on our phones helps a lot, right? We don't have the excuse of uh, not setting our clocks back. I don't think that helps with the grogginess, but um, it does remove the excuse of not showing up. So thank you for being here. I really do appreciate that. These next six weeks as we go into Lent, we're going to be looking at forgiveness. This idea that is so central to our faith. And it's not an easy one, so we're going to take our time with it. We're not going to rush through it. So I ask you to join with us all as we look deeper into this over these next few weeks, and then be with us six weeks from now as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to welcome everybody on podcast, everybody who's watching on Facebook Live. We're really glad that you're here this morning. Dallas Willard writes this. He says, the greatest challenge to creating good and living as God has appointed us to live lies primarily with our most intimate personal relationships. This is very difficult to talk about because this is the primary area of human failure. When Satan came to tempt mankind, he tempted us in a way that would, in one blow, rupture the relationship of trust between man and God and between man and woman. Then once the trust was ruptured, the relationship between brothers quickly followed and we had our first murder. It is a sad story. It is a sad story indeed. Our offenses and offending run from the nursery of, He took my toy! She's in my space. He looked at me funny, right? Starts there all the way to we will create missiles that will destroy your entire country. It runs from the nursery to nuclear holocaust. These offenses. Into that morass of offense God arrives saying, forgive. 
forgive. This might be the most difficult of all God's commands. Comparing to forgiveness, fasting is not a piece of cake. What would you say? You can't say fasting is a piece of cake. Fasting is not a piece of cake. Tithing. No problem. Be kind, okay. But forgive? Forgive? But it is God's command nonetheless, and God is very serious about it. As I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to be examining a number of scriptures to deal with forgiveness in some form or fashion. We'll also be centering in on the practice of forgiving as a church body leading up to Easter celebration. Each week in our learning guide, you're going to find practices and reflections that are associated with the practice of forgiving. I strongly encourage you to take advantage of those. Well, let's get into the text this week. Ryan Jackson notes in our learning guide this week that after the transfiguration, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy, again foretells of his death and resurrection, and pays his temple tax, which the Jews were paid, which Jews paid for the upkeep of the temple. Then Matthew brings us to Jesus' fourth block of teaching out of five in chapter 18. He speaks of humility and being like a child, obedience, and gives us a parable about what the shepherd would do if he lost a sheep. And then we get to this block in the text. So it's important to hold in our minds that this immediately comes after what Jesus expects of us, childlike faith, what Jesus does for us, searches for us as if we were a lost sheep, and then tells us this. Looking at Matthew 18, he says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. And when two of you are alone, when two of you are alone, if he listens, you have regained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, so that at the testimony or two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. If he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as a Gentile or tax collector. Because I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Again, I tell you the truth, if two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are assembled in my name, I am there with them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? Which I think is an interesting question. Peter jumps over the whole thing about, you know, two or three and gathered and making, binding things. He goes back to the offense. He goes back to the forgiveness. How many times? As many as seven times? I think Peter was trying to show off, like, just how generous he was. Like, seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. And then he goes into a parable. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. As he began settling his accounts, a man who owed 10,000 talents was brought to him. Because he was not able to repay it, the Lord ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and children, whatever he possessed, and repayment to be made. Then the slave threw himself to the ground before him, saying, Be patient with me, and I will repay you everything. 
the Lord had compassion on that slave and released him and forgave his debt. After he went out, that same slave found one of his fellow slaves who who owed him 100 silver coins. So he grabbed him by the throat and started to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. But then his fellow slave threw himself down and begged with the exact same words, right? Be patient with me and I will repay you. But he refused. Instead, he went and threw him in prison until he repaid the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were very upset and went and told their Lord everything that had taken place. Then the Lord called the first slave and said to him, evil slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you have not shown mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed to you? In his anger, the Lord turned him over to prison guards to torture him until he repaid all he owed. So shall my heavenly father do with you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Sobering words to end with. Well, let's look at what's being said here. First of all, we're going to see something that forgiveness is an absolute component of love. As a matter of fact, without forgiveness, there can be no lasting or true love. And to understand this, I want to look at three aspects of this. First of all, forgiveness is rooted in the fact that we have already been forgiven. Now, if you read the parable closely, what you're going to see is the servant who has, is in great debt to the king comes, asks for, for, or is the king comes to him for a settling of the count. The servant begs for forgiveness and says, Give me time, I will repay you. What the king does not say is, Okay, I'll give you an extension. What the king does not say is, You're right, you need more time, show me a payment plan. No, the king writes the whole thing off. The servant doesn't even ask for it. That's not what the servant was asking for. The servant wasn't asking for the debt to be written off. off. He he was asking to pay it back. But the king just forgives it. This is stunning when we stop to consider it. You see, forgiveness is not a few things. Forgiveness is not paying back what is owed. Forgiveness is not paying back something or getting something paid back to you. That's not, that's not forgiveness. That's just debt repayment. Forgiveness is also not making an excuse for someone's behavior. The king doesn't say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You really didn't know me that. We do this so quickly, right? When we don't want to deal with the consequences of it, we, we paper over crevasses thinking that now we can walk across when we, all we're doing is setting up a trap for further injury. Forgiveness is also not telling everybody else about the offense that has been done to you except that person who did it. It's not going to seek wisdom of others about what you should do about a situation. That's what we see clearly in the first part. If you have an offense, you go to that person. Now, there are limits on this. Let me say this. 
There are limits on this. This is not asking someone who has been abused to go to their abuser. That is not what is being implied here. This is in a relationship between equals, people of similar status and power, to be able to go to one another. Don't mistake this as another way to abuse people But when we begin to see this, when we begin to see that all of our forgiveness, all of the ways that I forgive is rooted in that I have first been forgiven even before I've asked. I've already been forgiven. I'm not being held accountable for my debt. I'm not just being given an extension plan at 0% interest to pay it off. But I have been 100% absolutely forgiven before I even asked my God. It is the initiative. Forgiveness is the initiative of God's towards us. That is God's posture towards us. It is not reluctantly doled out in small drips and drabs. It is effusively given to us. Sometimes before we're even aware we need to be forgiven, it is extended towards us. That alone, that revelation, that knowledge alone, that we are already forgiven, changes everything with it. But it's, it's not that easy. It's not that easy because we're we're prone to hold on. And honestly, we're going to talk about this more next week. Forgiveness, like grace, is offensive to us. It's offensive, it's offensive to that self-righteous part of us. It's offensive to that part that says, I, okay, I may have messed up, but I'll make it right. Like, I can fix this. Just give me a little more time. Or, oh, now, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Let me now fix it. Let me, let me fix it. Forgiveness just preempts all that. It doesn't even allow us to get those words out of our mouth. It doesn't even allow us to get into the posture of trying to repair. It's already done. And that offends us because we're competent people. Because I, I believe in right and wrong. Because I believe in consequences. Because because I want to earn. I don't want to owe anybody. I don't want to have to owe you anything. And we're going to talk about that more next week. So, if forgiveness is rooted in the fact that we've already been forgiven, it's also rooted in how much we have been forgiven. A number of different commentaries tried to figure out just how many, just how much 10,000 talents was, this, this sum that was owed. One commentary said it was 15 to 20 years of daily wages. Other commentaries said that it was more than that, much more than that, that it was an impossible sum. And, and we have to understand this is, this is hyperbole being used here because many of the commentaries said there's actually no way that a slave could have gone that far into debt. It's too much money. 
It's like saying, I owe $10 million. I mean, I, I couldn't owe $10 million because no one would ever loan me $10 million. But that's what's being said here. It's, it's this extravagant sum that, that the slave, even though he's saying, hey, give me more time, I'll pay it back, they, they ain't a way. He not, he's not even paying against the principal. He's not even keeping up with the interest on that loan. Like more time just means more debt with this. Y'all, we're all like that. We're all like that. We all owe much more than we could ever repay. Now, we have to be careful here, okay? Because any one of us right now could say, well, you don't know my story. You don't know what's been done to me. And yeah, maybe I've done a few bad things, but you don't know the bad things that have been done to me. Like, compared to what has been done to me, to what I've done, I, I, don't, I don't, that's not 10,000. I don't need that amount. Well, let me tell you, you may not have pulled the trigger, but every one of us has helped load the gun. There is not a single person in here individually who does not have something somewhere that they can't fix. You don't have to be very long on this earth for that debt to start racking up. And even if you are the exception, granted, hey, look, this big crowd, y'all are good people. There may be the exception in this room. But really, this doesn't apply to you. I guarantee it applies to us. It applies to us. See, we, we default to that hyper-individualized mindset in American society. Well, if I'm okay, then everything's okay. It ain't. You may be okay, but we're not okay. That bird's not okay. <laughs> For those of you listening on the podcast, let me give you a play-by-play. A bird just flew into our window and is dazed and confused at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you may be okay, but we're not okay. <laughs> There's got to be a sermon in there, Alex. There's got to be. There's the metaphor. Help me. The metaphor. Like, right? You think you see? Welcome to the window. Okay? This morning. You think you're all right? Welcome to the window. There we go. Yeah. The path looked clear. Well, so if we look at the forgiveness is rooted in what we have already been forgiven and how much we've been forgiven, we also need to consider how often we are forgiven. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far have our, has he removed our transgressions from us. Peter goes to Jesus, he says, seven times? Seven, so that's pretty generous, right, Bonnie? Seven times, that's generous. He says, no, 70, 70 times seven, 77. He's saying endless, He's, it's hyperbole. 
Listen, it's, it's not 49, okay, or 490. It's not a specific number. It, he, what he's saying is it is endless. You just keep forgiving with that. There is no end. And let me tell you, if you are still counting someone's sins and how many times you have already forgiven them, you haven't really forgiven them. You're just postponing your revenge. Let me say that again. If you're counting the times you have forgiven someone, if you're keeping score of that, you haven't really forgiven them. You're just postponing your revenge. God is not doing that to you. And he is not doing that to us. God is not holding on to those accounts. God is not sitting there waiting for it finally to break over when he just can't take it anymore and nobody's going to blame him because it's quite obvious that he's been the one wronged and then exact revenge. That is not how God operates. And that takes us back to the beginning. This is rooted in that we have already been forgiven with this. So during our teaching team this, this week, <clears throat> because as is wont to do, we get into a scripture and we look at it and we start thinking, oh my gosh, this is so important. We got to get this right. If we get this wrong, we're going to get everything wrong, right? We say that all the time. It just happens. We get excited about scripture here. But I started to think, okay, if this is so important, if forgiveness is so important, why isn't it in the great command? Because what's the great command, right? Come on, everybody. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then Jesus even one-ups that in John. He says, you're to love each other as I have loved you. There's no mention of forgiveness here. It's all about love. And then we get, so you would think, okay, if that's the most important thing, maybe forgiveness isn't that important. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's Prayer surely emphasized the things that we're supposed to do the most. And the, Lord prayer, the Lord's Prayer doesn't say anything about love. Have you ever, I, for the first time this week, I thought, the Lord's Prayer, literally, you would think if love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, love each other as I've loved you, if that was the most important thing, wouldn't the Lord's Prayer start with something like, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, turn our hearts to love you with all, your, all our hearts, all, but it's not there. But what is there? Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. You see, in a way, forgiveness is the mechanics of love. Forgiveness is the lubrication of love. Without forgiveness, love grinds to a halt. It seizes up. It becomes rigid, static, and ceases to be love. Love, or forgiveness in a way, is the work of love. 
It's the blue-collar version of it. It's not the romantic stuff we read in the poetry or singing the songs. It's the day-to-day, punch the clock, start over again, mechanics of it. And that's why it's so important. Because we quickly forget that. Oh, we like to sing the songs and write the poetry. We like to talk about the platitudes and generalities and theories. But when it comes to the nuts and bolts, when it comes to the hard work, the sacrificial, the mundane, the tedious work of forgiving, man, let's go do something else. Let's find something else. That's uncomfortable. Make your back ache. That'll wear your boots out. That's what we got to do. So I want to invite you this Lent season to do that work. I want to invite you this season to do the work of forgiving. Not by your own earning, not to earn anything. I'm not talking about workspace religion. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I am talking about walking it out. I'm talking about making it real. Look, if you think you're good, you think this sermon is for someone else, if you're already, you're already thinking of those three people you're going to send this podcast to because, boy, they really need to hear this podcast on forgiveness. Just hold up a minute before you hit send on that. Think about yourself. Take a minute and consider who you would take delight in if they failed. I mean, you don't want anything terrible to happen to them. But you sure would like that maybe they got exposed for something. Who's on your list? Who do you smile, maybe inwardly, maybe not outwardly, no, oh, poor thing, bless their heart. But inwardly, it's like, "Uh uh-huh, about time they had that coming to them. Who's on your list for that? It may not be an individual, it may be a whole group of people. You may cheer when legislation is passed that you think sets people in their place. You may cheer when revolution happens somewhere. Finally, things will change. It can go down from the smallest to the biggest. But check your hearts. And y'all, this stuff runs so deep. We're not going to get it right now. It may start, hopefully, start. But it takes work. It takes work to excavate down. That's why we take six weeks during the year. That's why we take this time to give room, to give space, to give time to excavate down, to find out. Where is it hiding? Where is it simmering? Where is that on a low boil or a covered up ember just waiting for fuel to burst into flame. It takes time to find that.
And that's what we're going to do this season. Because when we get to Easter, what we are going to see is the ultimate act of forgiveness. And the cross is the ultimate manifestation of forgiveness. And if we don't think we have anything to be forgiven of, that's going to be just another Sunday. Just another Sunday school lesson, just another text to listen to. But if we have dealt with our sin, if we have recognized our sin, the sin of unforgiveness, the sins that we have done, and the sins that have been done to us, if we recognize how, how utterly devastating are the consequences of that. We haven't papered over anything. We haven't made excuses for anything. Other people's sins or our own. Y'all, when we get to Easter, that's going to be a party. That's going to take on a meaning that it's never had before for us, both as individuals and as a community. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And I started by that, talking about that Dallas Willard quote. He says, you know, this, this temptation of Satan struck at the root. Our relationship to God, man's relationship to woman. Right at the very beginning, at the heart of every relationship. The relationship between a man and a woman, God and us. How it spreads out from there. Well, when we talk about forgiveness, let's just get to the heart of it. Let's just go ahead and admit the person that can hurt us the most is the person closest to us. And the person we hurt the most is the person closest to us. If you're married, that's going to be your spouse. That person is the most vulnerable to your sin and you are the most vulnerable to theirs kids that's your parents that's your brothers and sisters parents sometimes that's our kids sometimes that's our kids that hurt us the most start there just just start there just dive in can you imagine if we just healed those relationships? The other stuff would, it, it literally would be a piece of cake. It'd be easy if we could get it right between us. Now the one between us and God, right here. We didn't ask for it, he did it. We don't feel like we need it. He offers it. We don't feel like we're worthy of it. He says, come and get it. This table. He took the bread that night. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. This isn't papering over crevasses. This is sacrificial. Go to the cross. Give up everything and die for it. Forgiveness. says, this, is, this cup, this is my blood poured out, new covenant, it's done. Not only have I done it, done it before you ask, it's forever. There's no end to it. 70 times 70 times 70 times 70, 
ad infinium, ad nauseum, forever, eternal, always. This cup never runs out. This bread never goes dry. Take this, take this this morning in the knowledge that you have already been forgiven. Everything has been forgiven and it will always be forgiven. Thank you for being here this morning.